Do you want to know more about how you can eat for better health and longevity and how to advise patients based on sound evidence so they can reduce the burden of chronic disease through diet and lifestyle? Then you're in the right place. We aim to bring you all the latest evidence on how a plant-based diet can improve your health, the health of your patients and our planet, not to mention the animals we share it with. I'm Claire Day. And I'm Daisy Lund. We are both plant-based doctors with a passion for improving nutritional education. We're so excited to be presenting this podcast where we will be interviewing experts in the field, reviewing evidence, sharing our journeys and recipes to help you on your own journey to eating more plants. So welcome to In A Nutshell, the Plant-Based Health Professionals podcast. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 11. How are you Daisy? I'm very well thanks Claire. How are you? How has your week been? Well feeling better because I've got my Christmas cake made and um, at the same time I identified that there is a product called Oat Nog available this year and um, I bought some before I realised there there are loads of recipes out there for it but of course I bought it and I had to try it so I've been feeling quite Christmassy this week even though it's a bit early. Oh, that sounds nice. What's oat nog? So it's a variant of the same sort of things as you find in eggnog, but without the egg. So it's uh, this one was with oat milk and it had various spices added. And I think you make it a bit sweeter with a bit of maple syrup. And um, it's got cinnamon and nutmeg. And uh, what other Christmas spices are there? There's sort of, you know, maybe a bit of ginger or something like that. Anyway, it tasted tasted nice very gingerbready oh lovely that sounds very Christmassy so we're, we are in December now aren't we when this uh, episode is released so we can get excited about Christmas but we are also particularly excited this week because we had none other than the Dr Michael Greger join us as a guest yeah and I'm sure that many of you are already familiar with his work he's a medical doctor he's an author he speaks globally on plant-based health and his non-profit nutritionfacts.com is a science-based website that provides free videos and articles on the latest in nutrition. He's written books we all know and love, including How Not to Die, How Not to Diet, as well as recipe books, which are widely available in the UK. And his book that's just been released is called How Not to Age, The Scientific Approach to Getting Healthier as You Get Older. Now, all proceeds from his speaking engagements and the sale of his books are ploughed back into nutritional education, which is fantastic. And as we found, he is a force to be reckoned with and his passion and enthusiasm for nutritional education and evidence is contagious. It is, isn't it? We had so much fun speaking with him and we're looking forward to meeting him in person in London because he's coming to the UK in January. He's going to be doing a talk and a book signing. So for those that are interested, we we will add a link in the show notes. Um, so if there are any tickets left and you want to meet Dr. Gregor himself, do come along. So in this episode, we learned all about aging and the mechanisms that contribute, as well as the evidence for lifestyle interventions to slow aging and to help us preserve function and live not just longer lives, but more healthful lives. What Dr. Greger describes as health span rather than just lifespan. Yeah, I mean, I think he was particularly inspired by the dietary and lifestyle patterns of centenarians and residents of blue zones. So for those who don't know what blue zones are, they're areas in the world where people live the longest and healthiest lives. 
And um, we can link actually some work that Dan Buten has done on this area. Uh, well, there's various areas called the blue zones. So we'll put that in the show notes for those that are interested in having a read. So I'm not putting you on the spot here because you knew I was going to ask this, but Daisy, what was the highlight or learning point for you from Dr. Greger? Yeah, no, I, I had two points actually that I found really interesting with uh, in this episode. So the first point was about um, protein in- intake. So we asked Dr. Greger about the importance of protein as we age, and he did reiterate that the fact of maintaining recommended levels of protein intake is important, but also being mindful not to overdo it. So for maintaining muscle mass and bone density, he actually recommended weight-bearing activity and balance activities. So he talked about, you know, the leading cause of fractures in older people um, was, was falls. So I hadn't really thought actually about using things like weight-bearing activity and balance activities for older people to prevent falls. I don't think I'm actually that proactive in general practice when it comes to falls prevention. So it's certainly something I'm going to be addressing and sending people links to various exercise programs. Um, But I also really enjoyed um, speaking with him about legumes and nuts (laughs) because they're two of my favorite foods. And I like the emphasis that he placed on these foods, um, given they have a strong evidence linking them to longevity. So, you know, I think generally people know we need to be eating more fruit and vegetables, but I always think nuts and legumes are a bit more of an afterthought and we really ought to consider these foods as regulars on our plates. Yes, and he mentioned this thing called black cumin and I think I should just throw in here for listeners that I did ask about that. I thought it sounded a bit strange, but I've looked it up since and it's nigella seeds, which I do have some familiarity with. But when it comes to the beans, I feel so disappointed when people are ruling out beans and lentils. Every time you mention it to a patient that you're trying to sort of nudge towards a healthier diet, they'll say, oh, I don't get on with those. I get so much wind or I get bloated. But obviously, if you can enjoy a can of kidney beans in a paella or butter beans as a mash or added to mashed potato, you're going to get the benefits of the diet that he's talking about. Yeah, I agree. And um, Claire, do you have any tips for reducing bloating when people are eating legumes? Well, you know, we've got the fact sheet, haven't we, on um, PBHP, because it is a common problem. And as any of our experts will tell you when it comes up, the key is to introduce them in small amounts and to try and have them regularly uh, so that you don't suffer from something like constipation, um, because that will inevitably make bloating worse. You should always soak them well beforehand if you're going to cook your own and make sure that you rinse them well if they're from a can. And if you're cooking your own, make sure you cook them for plenty of time and that you don't sort of chance it when they're on the edge because you'll definitely get more bloating uh, if you use ones that haven't been cooked thoroughly. But otherwise, I think you can find all of that information on the fact sheet. And one of the things that we haven't quite got on top of yet, is it, Daisy, where we were talking about um, whether we knew of any herbs or spices that you could add to food to reduce bloating? Yeah, so I mean, I think in some cultures, I mean, I've heard of things like, you know, like you say, herbs and spices, mints and various other sort of concoctions of herbs being used um, to sort of help with bloating. Um, Do you know of any others, Claire? Well, a shout out to our German listeners, because in Germany, uh, they use a thing called Bornenkraut and you can actually buy it as that. It's called bean herb. And 
I don't think that we really have that so much on the shelves here. I, I looked it up and it seemed to be an ingredient of Herbe de Provence, known as something called a savoury herb or something. But I can't say I've ever really seen it here or, or actually seen people deliberately adding it to chilies and things like that. No. So if the listeners know of, of what it is or where we can find it, please do write in. I mean, I used to prescribe peppermint oil capsules for people that had bloating. So sometimes I'll add, you know, fresh mint and things like that. I don't think there's any harm in doing that and it might just help. But anyway, getting back to our topic for today, longevity and living healthier, longer lives. We did actually read a paper in Nature Food Journal quite recently, um, and that was entitled Life Expectancy Can Increase by Up to 10 Years following sustained shifts towards healthier diets in the United Kingdom. Yes, I've been talking to people about this since because 10 years through healthier diets is a huge gain. So this study used data from the UK Biobank, which is a huge database of people. It's around half a million. And they were recruited between 2006 and 2010 all aged between 40 and 69. And the study links their medical records. And they at the time had blood samples, urine samples and saliva samples taken, along with a collection of information on their lifestyle. Now, in the detail of the study is that for middle aged adults in the UK, so that's people around the age of 40, sustained dietary improvement is predicted to increase life expectancy by an average of about three years. That's because it depends how poor your diet is to start with. In those with the least healthy dietary patterns, fully changing their diet to the most healthy diet pattern was predicted to translate to approximately 10 year gain in life expectancy. So that's where that figure comes from. But changing from an unhealthy diet pattern to eating in line with, say, the Eat Well Guide was associated with an eight year life expectancy gain. And here comes the good bit. The biggest gains in life expectancy are associated with increased intake of whole grains and nuts and with reduced intake of sugar sweetened beverages and processed meats. Yeah, really interesting conclusions. And what we should say, though, as you mentioned, Claire, they, the study talks about middle age being at 40, but actually there are gains to be made even if you start the changes later on in life. So from, say, age 70 onwards, if you do shift your patterns of, of, of eating from unhealthiest to healthiest diet patterns, you can add an, around five years. Um, so, you know, really important, it's never too late to gain the benefits of eating a whole foods um, and predominantly plant-based diet. But Claire, do you think this study will have any impact anytime soon? Well, I think we've already had the evidence on this in several forms. But as the authors of the study say, what's new in their paper are their attempts to quantify as years of life gained through dietary change. I was at a recent talk, uh, which was a public health consultant talking to local GPs. And the focus was very much on using the Eat Well Guide in the context of improving nutrition, but without his focusing on the need for people to eat more whole grains and nuts, or actually drawing out just how poorly followed it is, the Eat Well Guide. The study gives a reference figure of less than 0.1% of the UK population meeting the guidance fully in their eating habits. And as we've said before, I think most people don't reread the Eat Well Guide as they think they know the content. And this talk 
was going on while there were platters of meat sandwiches, which had been finished at the back of the room with a platter of hummus and red pepper sandwiches and a bowl of fruits which were left relatively untouched by the GPs. So I certainly don't think that we have a critical mass of public sector foot soldiers ready to deliver these messages to people. The vast majority of GPs, even if they had all the best advice to give to their patients tomorrow, would say, do as I say and not as I do. Yeah, there's still room for change, isn't there? Absolutely agree. Look, we want to get our guest interview on for this week, but please, can we ask our wonderful listeners a favour? We would really, really appreciate it if you would rate and write a review of the podcast. This helps with the algorithms, which means that actually others who haven't found us yet that might be interested in our content will be able to find us more easily. So please, if you have a spare couple of minutes, we'd really appreciate that. Thanks, Daisy. Here's Dr. Gregor. Hey, hey, hey! Hello! Hello. <laughs> Lots of energy. Of <laughs> course! Thanks for joining us. How are you? Good! Brilliant. So, welcome, Dr. Gregor. And before we start, can you tell us a bit about your journey to eating plant-based and how you came to advocating for a whole food plant-based diet in your career? Yeah, you know, it actually all goes back to my grandmother. I was just a kid when... Uh, My grandma was sent home in a wheelchair to die. She had uh, diagnosed with end-stage heart disease, already had so many bypass operations, basically run out of plumbing at some point. Confined in a wheelchair, crushing chest pain. Her life was over at age 65. But then she heard about this guy, Nathan Pritikin, one of our early lifestyle medicine pioneers here in the States. And what happened next is actually detailed in Pritikin's biography. He talks about Frances Greger, my grandmother. They wheeled her in, and she walked out. So she was given her medical death sentence at age 65, thanks to a healthy diet. Was able to enjoy another 31 years on this planet till age 96 to continue to enjoy her six grandkids, including me. That's why I went into medicine. That's why I practiced lifestyle medicine. Why I started the website nutritionfacts.org. Why I wrote the book, How Not to Die why all the proceeds from all of my books are all donated directly to charity. I just want to do for everyone's family what Pritikin did for my family. Amazing. Right. I'm sure you're going to recognize this next question, um, which is a bit of a challenge, really, because we're big fans of your previous work, both the book that you've just mentioned, How Not to Die and How Not to Diet. And whilst we're excited about this new book, How Not to Age, And the fact that you've looked at 20,000 research papers or you and your team in putting it together, which sounds incredible. What more is there actually to say? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, that's interesting. Every time I, you know, I feel the exact same way. Every time I go into a book, I'm like, look, I've already done it all. Like what more could there be? But oh my God, I learned so much. I changed my own diet, everything. I mean, there's just so much out there. In fact, so much that didn't even exist. I have chapters in this new book on concepts that weren't even discovered um, uh, until after I actually graduated from medical school. So there's just this tremendous body of literature. I think, you know, it's important to recognize that, you know, no one dies of old age. So there was um, uh, a study with 42,000 consecutive autopsies found that centenarians, um, those who lived to be 100 or more, died in 100% of cases 
from disease, even though they appear perfectly fine, even their physicians that out there are fine. We actually did an autopsy. Ah, they died most uh, most prominently from heart disease, was the leading uh, killer, as it is for men and women um, otherwise. And so you're like, wait a second. If death is from disease, why wasn't How Not to Die all the longevity book anybody needs? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I recognize that there is a risk factor that I did not talk about in How Not to Die, and that risk factor is aging. Yes, you know, having a high cholesterol can increase your risk of heart disease up to 20-fold, but, you know, an 80-year-old may have 500 times the risk of a heart attack as a 20-year-old, right? Now, the reason we talk about things like cholesterol is because it's a modifiable risk factor. But what if aging was modifiable to? What if the rate of aging was modifiable to? And that really, because if that's the case, then, oh my God, we could hit, it, could hit all the age-related diseases kind of in one fail swoop. Um, and so that was what really excited me about uh, this book, um, tackling one more pesky little risk factor, growing old. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, what we loved about the book was how you described the health span rather than lifespan. Um, you know, we're both primary care doctors and we see a lot of elderly people who are living their last years of life or their last decade or more of life in, you know, in ill health. And, you know, we'd really like to know how not only can we age better, but live the healthier long lives, not just long lives, but healthier long lives. And, and what key things do you want people to know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not just about adding years to your life, but life to your years. You know, when asked how long uh, do, do you wish to live, there was a survey and they offered the choice. You live to 85, 120, 150 or indefinitely. To my surprise, most people, two thirds said they prefer only live to 85. Ah, but when the question was reframed, how long do you wish to live in perfect guaranteed mental and physical health ah then all of a sudden everyone switches to unlimited right and that raises the this concept of health span right the period of life spent not just alive but in good health meaning free from chronic disease and disability uh, you know, what's the point of living longer if we're not going to live it vibrantly? And so here in the States, for example, we are living um, longer than we did decades ago, but we're actually living sicker. We're living fewer years in health, fewer functional years, meaning fewer years in which we're able to perform basic life activities like walking a quarter mile, uh, standing unassisted, being able to, uh, you know, uh, stand or sit for a few hours without having to lie down. So we're living longer, but we're living sicker. So that's why both health span and lifespan were both top of mind in researching this book. Yeah, I mean, I think we both completely agree with that. But in, in the UK, certainly, it's often all about motivating people and getting people interested in something. And I was wondering, is it going to be relevant to everyone? And can you actually say that for some people, the damage will have just gone too far? Oh, well, I mean, the good news is that we have tremendous power over our health, destiny, and longevity. The vast majority of premature death and disability is preventable with a healthy enough diet and lifestyle. And I think if you look at some of these disease reversal studies, like the Ornish studies on heart disease, 
what is the median age, right? These were people in their 60s, right? Wait a second. So they've been eating these terrible diets their entire lives. And after 60 years of pummeling their body, poof, within a matter of months, all of a sudden you see this reversal and China going away, opening up arteries without drugs, without surgery. Amazing. Suggesting their bodies want to be healthy all along, but were just never given a chance. And one of the most amazing things I learned in my medical training was that within 15 years of stopping smoking, your lung cancer risk approaches that of a lifetime non-smoker. Like, isn't that amazing? Your lungs can clear out all that tar and eventually it's almost as if you never started smoking at all, right? And every morning of our smoking life, that healing process starts until wham, first cigarette of the day. Re-injuring our lungs with every puff, just like we can re-injure our arteries with every bite when all we had to do all along. The miracle cure is just stand back, get out of the way, stop re-damaging ourselves and let our body's natural healing processes bring us back towards health, right? Uh, yes, you can choose moderation and, you know, hit yourself with a smaller hammer, but why beat yourself up at all? So this is really promising. So you're saying that actually it's never too late. We can just pick up your book, start no matter what age we are. And your book goes into a lot of detail about the science of no less than 11 different aging pathways. Um, can you give the listeners who perhaps aren't familiar a brief outline of perhaps the most important ones? Yeah, no, no. So uh, just to emphasize, never too late to stop smoking, never too late to start moving, never too late to start eating healthier. Even people in their 80s can add years of life with simple, common sense, basic lifestyle behaviors like not smoking, eating more fruits and vegetables, regular exercise, and not being obese. Literally years of life, even starting in one's 80s. So so I'm so glad you uh, you brought that up. Part one of the book is kind of like the nerdy section of the book where I go through these 11 aging pathways offering kind of these are the most promising uh, strategies for kind of slowing the sands of time, um, ending each with kind of practical proposals on what you can actually do about it in terms of these uh, lifestyle and uh, diet interventions. And so just broadly, we're talking about boosting the anti-aging enzymes and hormones, which is AMPK, FGF21, sirtuins, telomerase, while suppressing the pro-aging enzymes and hormones like mTOR and IGF-1. Uh, so, and then decreasing glycation, inflammation, oxidation, senescence, while preserving autophagy and our telomeres and, and, and slowing the epigenetic clock. Um, so all kind of fancy sounding scientific terms, but I really do try to kind of break it down into easily understandable, doable kind of practical takeaways. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I read the book. As you say, the first bit is very scientific, lots of data, and then but lots of really good points and easy to follow things in the second half. And one of those I particularly loved, given that we're plant-based health professionals UK, and we feel that we don't UK population in general doesn't eat enough legumes. We uh, love it in your book entitled Legume Longevity. Um, could you tell the listeners a bit about any studies on beans and legumes and how they Ah, absolutely. Well, I'm shocked to hear that Britons aren't eating enough legumes. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole thing. That's the whole reason you go to the UK so you can eat beans for breakfast. Like that's the <laughs> traditional fare, right? Um, and we all really need to, to replicate that. Yeah, in terms of anti-aging foods, 
According to the data from uh, the Global Burden of Disease Study, which is the single largest systemic analysis of risk factors for death and disability in history, funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the number one kind of largest life expectancy gains would be expected from eating more what? Legumes, beans, split peas, chickpeas, lentils. Um, so if there's like one thing we could do is eat more beans or lentil soup or hummus, and this is uh, presumed to be because they're uh, the most concentrated source of prebiotics like fiber and resistant starch, which feed the probiotic good bacteria in our gut, like lactobacillus and, um, and bifidobacteria, to make the beneficial postbiotics like butyrate and acetate, which really do the hard lifting in terms of reducing inflammation and boosting immunity and improving muscle strength in, in, in frail individuals. So uh, legumes certainly rule the roost kind of on a, on a per serving basis, though actually on an ounce per ounce basis, nuts are actually associated with the lowest risk of premature death compared to any other food group. So um, I do recommend a palmful of walnuts a day as well. Interesting. Yeah. And I mean, that is our mission to get the UK population eating more beans and nuts, isn't it, Claire? Definitely. Fantastic. And and actually, Daisy's favourite nut is the walnut. So you're going to be even more pleased to hear that, aren't you, Daisy? Every day. Um, so I'm fascinated by these 11 different pathways. But when we're thinking about it as GPs, so that's your, your family doctor, we're actually just often focusing on loss of bone density and loss of muscle mass that you've mentioned. And um, you mentioned nuts and beans. Do you have any other specific foods that we can push people towards to tackle these problems and you know how, how they might do that through a whole food plant-based diet. Oh, absolutely. So dark green leafy vegetables earn their place in the anti-aging eat as the uh, as the vegetable most associated with a longer lifespan. The nitrates in greens, which we tend to associate with like beet juice or something, but actually the most concentrated sources are green leafy vegetables. They improve age-related declines in muscle and artery function, as well as slow our metabolic rate, which is something you typically only see with come like caloric restriction and, you know, the candle that burns half as bright, burns twice as long. Um, but instead of walking around starving all the time, you can just eat a big salad. And then the sulforaphane in cruciferous vegetables, these are the cabbage family vegetables like broccoli, kale, collards, cauliflower, um, can improve uh, immune function and boost the detox enzymes in our liver and airways, particularly important for people who lived in kind of uh, in areas with air pollution. Berries uh, earn their place as the fruit most associated with a longer lifespan. Uh, I talk about the benefits of amla, which is dried Indian gooseberry powder, and the anthocyanin pigments that um, in berries are uh, thought to account for uh, their benefits in terms of cognitive function, eyesight, uh, inflammation, blood sugar, artery function, cholesterol, though they do get cleared from our bloodstream within about six hours. So that's why I encourage, really want to try dosing every meal with either berries, so like berries for dessert or something, or hibiscus tea, another source of anthocyanins, or there's uh, savory sources like uh, red or purple cabbage or purple sweet potatoes, ways you can get these important pigments in kind of throughout the day. Yeah, that's really interesting because often we talk about sarcopenia or osteopenia, so bone density loss and, and muscle loss as we get older, and we focus a lot on protein and protein intake. Um, and I read in your book that you mentioned there are risks of things like IGF-1 increasing with more animal protein and certainly people who have high protein diets. And you mentioned actually sticking to the 0.8 grams per kilogram recommendation. So 
can you give us a bit more detail about that? Because I think as we get older, we people are often trying to eat more protein, but mm. how do we mitigate the risks uh, if we are sticking to whole food plant-based diet? Right. The single most effective strategy to prevent age-related muscle weakness, treat muscle loss, improve physical function is resistance exercise, strength training exercise, even just a temporary drop in physical activity levels. Like, you know, someone goes in for surgery and has bed rest for a week, um, it can rapidly worsen matters, particularly among older men and women. Um, and so that's really the key. Um, it turns out that taking extra protein um, uh, for older men and women over age 65 have no effect on muscle mass, strength, or performance, whether you have normal muscle mass or sarcopenic or you're frail, it just doesn't work. And in fact, plant-based sources of protein are preferable um, because of the baggage that accompanies protein from animal sources, such as the saturated fat um, and cholesterol, et cetera. And then all the good stuff you get along with the plant proteins, such as you know the prebiotics and the anti-inflammatory nature, the antioxidant, the alkaline-forming aspects of plant-based nutrition. There are specific plant foods that have been shown in randomized controlled trials to actually improve functional mobility. For example, two cups a day of blueberries was able to do it. A daily half teaspoon of garlic powder um, uh, was able to improve muscle mass over uh, placebo. And a tablespoon a day of natural cocoa powder has been shown to improve, improve both muscle strength and function. The nitrates and greens can also boost uh, muscle strength, muscle mass. Uh, so there are some things we can do about diet, but really it's, it really boils down to exercise. And in terms of protein in general, when it comes to aging and protein, less really may be more. Reducing protein intake down to recommended levels, the 0.8 grams per kilogram body weight, is the only thing that I could find that actually was able to help block all 11 of the aging pathways, like boosting NAD and improving immunity and decreasing oxidative stress and inflammation, insulin resistance, as well as the cancer-promoting hormone IGF-1. And so with no extra benefit from extra protein for muscle mass or strength, instead you get the uh, this excess protein that most people are eating, causes a drop in the pro-longevity hormone FGF-21, a worsening of the age-accelerating um, uh, enzyme mTOR. So we really should try to kind of restrict down to recommended levels. Yeah, I think we're all so obsessed with protein, aren't we? And particularly sort of in the modern era of social media and you sort of see protein everywhere but actually you're saying exercise could be if if not as important more important oh absolutely right you need sufficient protein but excess protein can be damaging for longevity yeah and when you say resistance exercise can you give the listeners a few examples oh so we're talking about like a weight training or resistance bands these kind of elastic bands where you can get that same kind of um, resistance against against our muscles. And so you don't need to, you know, you know, you don't need a home gym or anything. There's all sorts of things you can do with just simple, you know, a couch or a chair, or whatever, um, to get that resistance exercise in, do squats, you can do this, all sorts of things. I, I encourage people to check out online to put together not just aerobic fitness, which is important for the most important muscle in the body, our heart, right? Number one killer of men and women. Um, is heart disease. Got to keep our heart healthy. And that comes from the aerobic activity, getting our heart rate up. Um, but particularly important for older men and women, we also want to add that strength training component as well as balance training. 
Um, since the number one risk factor, the number one reason people break their bones is not necessarily their bone density, but because of falls. And so fall prevention, critically important. How do we do that? We do that lower body strength training and balance training um, can dramatically decrease the risk of falls. And that translates into a decreased risk of bone fracture later in life. Yeah, brilliant. So I know some of us hate going to the gym or haven't got access to a gym, but as you say, these are things we could just do at home. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, the book's so heavy, you could just kind of curl the book, you know. No, I mean, I mean, speaking of the book, if, if somebody's buying the book, then you're home and dry. You know, they're interested. They're interested in right, this right, concept right. of aging. They might be more interested in how it's going to make them look younger. Um, but the interest is there. But some of your food suggestions, and you've mentioned a couple of them already you know the hibiscus thing some people will be thinking oh what's hibiscus hibiscus tea and things like that they do seem like a lot of work and you know the micro dosing trying to get it in every um meal and you know you mentioned foods like the barberries and the black cumin um do you really think that we can get people interested in this approach when when they may feel just more afraid of getting cancer than getting older in the first instance yeah, I mean, so certainly uh, the concern with a book like this is you don't want to get people to get lost in the weeds, right? Um, and uh, I mean, and really, and that's why in the conclusion, I really do, you know, take the step back, say, look, it's not all or nothing, doesn't require drastic change, it's just the basic common sense, you know, lifestyle factors, really could mean difference between a decade of lifespan, of healthy lifespan, just this is just the basics, the fruits and vegetables, the not smoking, not being obese, um, exercising regularly. And it's never too late. Start eating healthier, start moving, stop smoking. Like the, like let's, that's the important thing. Let's, I mean that you're like 80% of the way there just doing that. Now, then if you want to do the next step, once you have all those basics down, you want to start tweaking around the edges, you know, and, and, and adding particularly healthy fruits and vegetables, et cetera, then, you know, I have the resources for you, but I don't want the kind of heft of the book to intimidate people um, from making those really those first steps that really are the most important steps. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why particularly where we're coming from on the podcast of the plant-based health professionals it's so good to see the nuts and the greens and the berries at the top of the list and we you know we're always trying to get people to focus on those um but you mentioned the anti-aging eight mm. i know we still want people to buy the book but but can you say a bit more about that is it as simple as that oh so this is really these are this is kind of to complement my uh, my daily dozen checklist of all the healthiest of healthy things and encourage people to fit into their daily routine on uh, uh, from how not to die um, available as a free app uh, at Dr. Vare's daily dozen. Um, and so that's where I, you know, talk about many of these things, you know, flax seeds every day and core teaspoon turmeric on down the list. Um, and so really try to encapsulate highlight specific foods and actions that have the potential for, really the best opportunities to slow aging and improve longevity to kind of complement the daily dozen. Um, so we've talked about some of them like the beans, like the berries, like the greens. And then, you know, the rest of the anti-aging eight um, talks about naturally boosting this enzyme cofactor called NAD plus, uh, something called xenohormesis, microRNAs, uh, calorie restriction, protein restriction, methionine restriction. Actually, that's probably the most single most important thing we can do. Um, and so that's either 
you can reduce your uh, methionine either by eating less overall caloric restriction or just restricting protein, keeping your calories the same or keeping your protein intake the same, but just by switching from animal sources to plant sources can drop down your branched chain amino acid intake, your sulfur containing amino acids uh, like uh, cysteine and, uh, and methionine. And that will have many of the anti-aging benefits that, uh, that can work against all 11 of those pathways. Nice. So plants over pills, as you mentioned in your book. Plants, oh, there yeah. we go. Plants over pills. Sometimes yeah. pills are necessary, but we should always, you know, uh, we should reach for the uh, fridge before the medicine cabinet if we can. Absolutely. Particularly when it comes to um, pills that people might buy that are not licensed or making false claims about anti-aging. And certainly um, when it's as simple as eating, like you say, your nuts, greens, legumes and uh, whole grains. And talking about eating, um, Dr. Gregor, we can't let you go without asking what you're going to be eating or what you eat on a regular basis. And our listeners love to hear what we're eating for dinner every night. <laughs> um, I don't know what time it is in America, but do you know what you're going to be eating? Oh, well, uh, yeah. So Daily Dozen, Daily Dozen is, if you want to eat on a daily basis, that's, I mean, that's the whole point of the Daily Dozen was, I was trying to figure out, uh, you know, it was just like a little whiteboard on the fridge trying to figure out what I should be eating every day. Um, but uh, I actually don't know what I'm going to eat for some, but. Uh, I ran out of leftovers yesterday, but for lunch, um, I had purple sweet potatoes that so you can get these Hawaiian purple sweet potatoes. I actually make up 69% of the diet of the Okinawan Japanese back when they were among the longest living population, second longest living. Um, and uh, they are delicious. And the mistake I used to make was microwaving them. And then I'd like air fry them, but, uh, they taste so much better baked because they get this like caramelized, wonderful flavor and, oh my God. So what was I doing all my life? So now I, you just, you know, you think ahead, um, in about, uh, an hour at, uh, like 375 degrees. Ooh, I don't know what that is in Celsius. Sorry. Um, uh, and, and they're just, 20. <laughs> then, then you just, uh, and you got snacks at all times, stick them in your pockets, you know, they're good hand warmers. Anyway, so that was, I've got this, this is my kind of, my interview day this week. And so it's like, I don't got a lot of time to cook, but I know I could have the, you know, they're super satiating, delicious. Um, I can sneak them in between interviews. So yeah, that, that was, that's my lunch today. This morning I had um, oat croats with, oh, it's pomegranate season. Um, and so oat croats and pomegranate um, and uh, walnuts and wild blueberries and flax and wheat germ and cocoa powder, um, uh, uh, a chocolate balsamic vinegar. Oh, and fresh mint from the garden, which is slowly dying. So I had to eat a lot of it. Yeah, that was that was my kind of like, yeah, delicious, delicious. Okay. That sounds amazing. Yes. Sorry, yeah, I was gonna, I was just gonna say you sound very easy to cater for when you're over in London next year, and I oh, think oh, I can't um, wait. Yeah, we're very excited about that. So, um, but, you know, like just just some simple ingredients, just just a couple of sweet potatoes. I don't know. I haven't seen the purple ones here recently. Have you, Daisy? No, I think they were sold out, apparently, because after Dan Buettner's the Blue Zones documentary, apparently everyone's trying to find purple sweet potatoes. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. Oh, well, I've got my sources, so I better... (laughs) They're not divulged, but yeah, that's one of my favorite things to take on airplanes, right? Because they're so light and they're so, you know, 
Um, and uh, and the, the purple ones t tend to be a little drier than orange sweet potatoes. So it, you don't have to worry about it kind of oozing everywhere. And yeah, it just makes a good snack. Very nice. Yeah. And Claire, you mentioned Dr. Greg is coming to London in January. We can put a link for the tickets on, on the show notes, can't we? Because we'll be there and we're looking forward to meeting you in person. Can't yeah. wait. Can't wait. I'm yeah. so looking forward to it. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll we'll check whether there are actually any tickets left before we put the link there, because I okay. think that could be a bit, well, there's, a bit I'm disappointing a couple, for people. I'm doing a couple talks, so hopefully there'll be one at least that's open. Brilliant. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Have we got time to ask you, Claire, what you're having for dinner tonight? <laughs> you can do. I think it's a little bit, you know, it might it might bamboozle you a bit, Dr. Grieger, because okay. um, I'm actually I've actually got a recipe ready. Ooh. And I was going to tell Daisy about the fact that um, I made it for my uh, plant based colleague. Well, they're not plant based at work, but I made it for my colleagues. I do a kind of lunch on a Tuesday and I, I I've got to wow them, basically, you know, to bring them around to this way of eating. They're not they're not naturally coming to me okay. on it. So um, I made like a sort of tomato and onion garlic sauce with some mm. cumin and some nice. turmeric and nice. some sweet paprika in there. Mm. And um, yeah, you, you, you've got the garlic in there. A bed of that, on top of that, you put a slice of uh, crisscrossed roast aubergine, which mm -hmm. um, the, the flesh is just falling off it after it's been in the oven for about 40 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you do like a, a mince, but of course it's not mince. It's going to be like lentils and onions mm -hmm. and Ooh. some um, garlic and also some more turmeric and some more cumin and some cinnamon. Ooh, Did I mention nice. cinnamon? That's going in there as well. Maybe maybe you've got some good things to say about cinnamon, but it's in I there. Am. And then on top, some tahini mixed with coriander, basil, Ooh. and what's the third herb? Coriander, basil, and another green herb, parsley. Yeah, ah, all nice. blended together, drizzled over with the tahini, a little bit thinned down. It looked spectacular. Sounds um, delicious. So I'm doing that again tonight because I'm on a roll with it. You're Daisy, hungry. Well, I'm going to go over to Daisy because she's always got a good one. Well, I can't match that because you're all about the herbs and spices, aren't you? It's just amazing. I'm I'm going to have a tofu curry. <laughs> I suppose there's lots of spices. That's in that. lots of spices in curry. Yeah, there is, there is, and actually this time I made it with um with fresh tomatoes. So rather than passata or a canned tomato, I actually yeah. uh, made it with fresh tomatoes, and it made makes a whole it makes a world of difference. Actually, the the yeah. sauce is delicious, very fresh, lovely. Mm, fantastic all right well we'll wrap things up there thank you so much for talking to us um and you know better luck with the book because obviously we want everybody to be eating like this and anything that gives them some motivation is fantastic in my view so hopefully everybody will be getting it for christmas fantastic Absolutely. thank Looking you forward so to seeing you both thank you, you. Both the great work Thank you. We're trying. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We aim to bring you the most up-to-date evidence-based information about the benefits of a plant-based diet, and we'll add all the links for further reading in the show notes. Please remember that everything discussed on here does not constitute individual medical advice. So please consult your healthcare provider if you have any medical concerns. 
In the meantime, please subscribe to the In A Nutshell podcast on your usual streaming service and download our future podcast for free. And since food can be the best medicine, don't forget to share us with all your colleagues, friends and family. Until next time.